Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Well, today is a, a bittersweet day here at Freedom's Ring because we get to do one last show with one of our oldest and dearest friends and, and staunch advocates for religious freedom. Uh, Brent Walker has served as executive director at the Baptist Joint Committee for many years, has served a total of 27 years, and is retiring. And so, Brent, uh, welcome back. I wanted to, you know, look back on 27 years of religious liberty advocacy with you. Yeah, it's been quite a run, uh, Alan. I appreciated the opportunity to work with you and, and so many others outside of Baptist life in coalition, as well as uh, the many Baptists who come together to form the Baptist Joint Committee. So uh, we're um, going to plow forward under new leadership and fresh legs, and uh, I'm looking forward to great things in the future. Well, you've worn a minister's hat as well as a lawyer's hat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I've got both uh, the legal background and uh, theological education, um, which is it served me well. You know, I, uh, you know, we Baptists, uh, you know, to think uh, theologically first and foremost about religious liberty that it's a gift from God uh, that we learn from the Scriptures. But uh, you know, we protect that that uh, freedom constitutionally and legally uh, in 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 secular society. So we, you know, we really have a foot in both of those uh, camps, and uh, it served me well. Well, and, you know, Baptists, I've often said on this show, and I'll, I'll say it again proudly as a Seventh-day Adventist, we have stood on Baptist shoulders in our understanding of religious liberty, which came through the Radical Reformation and was championed by Baptists in early America, and a tradition that has, has certainly served our nation uh, extraordinarily well. You know, one part of that tradition, Brent, that I know you've been a very strong advocate for, um, Baptist Joint Committee has been, has been for the separation of church and state, which is something that increasingly Christians are taught is wrong, is something that is hostile to religious liberty. Um, why is it that Baptists have historically championed the separation of church and state? You know, we have found out through experience uh, that as soon as government starts to meddle in religion um, uh, for or against or take sides in, in religious disputes, favoring one religion over another, you know, someone's religious liberty is denied and, and, and everyone's is threatened. So uh, there has to be that, that, that institutional and to some extent functional separation between church and state um, if truly going to be free. Uh, so those those decisions about about religion, our spiritual destiny, how we worship, how we practice our faith, uh, needs to be left up to individuals and to uh, houses of worship and families and, and others. Uh, the government is uniquely ill-suited to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that the government has to be hostile to religion, for sure. Uh, we uh, don't want that, but we just want there to be that decent distance between uh, the institutions of government and religion to allow uh, religious freedom to flourish. And I think it's so important, especially for our Christian audience, to understand that separation of church and state has deep roots in 
in the American Protestant community, as championed by Baptists, but also by many others. Oh, yes, absolutely. It goes back to the, the First Amendment. You know, a lot of folks that debunk the separation of church and state say, well, those words aren't in the First Amendment. Well, that's true. The, those precise words aren't, but uh, the principle surely is of uh, no establishment. Uh, we don't want government to establish religion or to promote religion or to give it a helping hand and free exercise the second part of the First Amendment, we don't want government to harm religion or to hurt it or put it down. We just want government to turn it loose, to leave it alone and allow people of faith to make their own decisions about uh, spiritual matters uh, without government sticking its its nose into it. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting that when you, what I like to refer to as a, a, a colonial coalition uh, that came together back in those days uh, with the, sort of the, the Enlightenment rationalists uh, on the one side and the evangelical pietists on the other, uh, you know, that came together and formed a, a coalition to pass the First Amendment. Uh, they both came at it from a, from a different point of view, but they had the same goal in mind to, to uh, preserve religious freedom for all. And, and, and the freedom not to be religious is a, a necessary corollary to that idea. So, um, yeah, we, it, it, um, it, it's been around a long time. And, you know, we can go back and listen to Jesus' words about rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And now that's, you know, not some kind of full-blown constitutional doctrine that, uh, that Jesus is talking about a couple millennia ahead of time. But it does raise the idea that, that there are different responsibilities, different duties, different functions uh, that need to be respected uh, theologically as well as from a constitutional point of view. Preach, brother. I hear the preacher <laughs> going strong. Uh, oh, some may say well, you've gone to meddling, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I like it. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Well, so 27 years, Brent, you, you got your start with Baptist Joint Committee about the same time the Supreme Court was decimating the free exercise clause. That's true. With, yeah, uh, right. with the peyote case. The next year, first year, uh, they did it, and then, of course, we... Got into gear and, uh, you know, along with uh, you guys and, and about 65 other groups, uh, petitioned Congress to pass the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and uh, restoring a high level of protection for religious freedom. And uh, so we've, uh, yeah, that's, I, mean, I think, I look back on the 27 years, that's probably one of the high watermarks of, of my uh, ministry here, that along with the uh, uh, RELUPA, the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act that came through a little bit later to um, to further strengthen religious liberty. Uh, th those were just very important uh, pieces of legislation that, yeah, and you're right, responding to an unfortunate decision by, by the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, my only quibble with all of these legislative activities is I was so dismayed when I actually had to start litigating some of these cases to find out that you can't get damages. That you, you, you eggheads, uh, law professors and all drafting these bills forgot about, uh, you know, those who would be enforcing them and, and getting damages. But maybe that wasn't really politically feasible at the time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But be able to get injunctive relief for sure and declaratory relief. Yeah, and um, attorney's fees. We we lawyers can yeah, get yeah, yeah. paid. <laughs> That's right. But you're right. It, it should be a constitutional principle, not legislative grace. Uh, but, you know, we had to do what, you know, what we had to do in light of five five members of the Supreme Court, uh, you know, gutting, gutting, gutting the First Amendment. Right. Yeah. And I, I think our, you know, our listeners, I mean, we've talked about the Smith-Peyote case over the years, and I dare say Americans don't really get 
that it was the conservative Supreme Court that de, you know denigrated our right to practice our religious faith. Mm -hmm. That free exercise of religion was destroyed not by the liberals on the court, but by the conservatives on the court, mm -hmm. and that it really no longer has meaningful status as a constitutional right. It's protected, if at all, by statute, and frequently by state statutes and constitutions, rather than at the federal level. Right. Well, you'll remember the Supreme Court uh, subsequently ruled that federal RIFRA didn't apply to the states under federalism principles, that the Congress could make that rule for the federal government, but not for the states. And then, of course, the states uh, started passing their own religious freedom bills uh, back in the in the mid-90s, late-90s. Um, and, that, and that was good, you know, as long as they mirrored the, the delicately balanced federal uh, RIFRA, uh, it worked well. And, you know, that's to be distinguished from some of the so-called RIFRAs we've heard over the past two or three years that, uh, you know, that, that changed the wording and, and try to tilt it even uh, more against uh, uh, or more in favor of the free exercise, even if it, even if it may do damage or harm to third parties. So, um uh, yeah, federal RIFRA is good, and, and state RIFRAs that are patterned after it uh, are uh, very important adjuncts to our uh, efforts to uh, maintain the free exercise of religion. Well, Brent, let me just ask you, from you know, from your perch, as it were, 27 years of, of advocacy here in our nation's capital with the nation's oldest Baptist organization working for religious freedom, as you look ahead... What do you see are the gravest risks to religious freedom in our country? Well, I, I think it, it comes from, from various sources. You know, um, the, there are uh, people that don't believe in religious liberty anymore. That, that uh, any time a, a religious claim runs up against an anti-discrimination uh, issue, the latter always trumps the former. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that's un unfortunate that uh, uh, that religious liberty has been so so diminished in, in the minds of, uh, of of many people and uh, you know on the other side there are people that, that you know that, that think that religious liberty is the end all and be all they don't care about the, the effect that their exercise of religion might have on society generally or third parties um, you know we, we really do need to to come together and, and, and to figure out a reasonable a balanced way to have a both and result you know both religious liberty accommodation and fairness to uh, to other folks who who are not religious um I don't have time to go into all the details, uh, but, but you know, that that, that uh, great compromise about a year and a half ago out of Utah for, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, with the Mormon church involved you know, up to up to its gills and in, in um, you know, uh, you know, accommodating religious practice, but being very careful not to uh, unduly discriminate against uh, gay and lesbian folks and, and other uh, disadvantaged uh, citizens by virtue of the accommodation. So, you know, it can be done. And and uh, I'm hopeful that uh, that we will uh, we will do so um, as we try to work this out with uh, with our pluralistic society and makes it very difficult. Well, I totally agree. We need to find a way to balance everybody's rights, and I see too often on both the left and the right a kind of uh, you know my way or the highway approach that mm -hmm. says my rights at the expense of your rights, and to me. You know, what the genius of America, we've got plenty of flaws, but the genius is the notion that all of our rights are important and we all get to live according to our own 
values. We don't get to impose our values upon somebody else, and the government doesn't get to impose um, somebody else's values on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, We, um, uh, you know, have to be always attuned to that vertical dynamic between the government and individuals and and, and the religious institutions, that that government should not take sides or or try to uh, irrigate to itself the the right to make those decisions. But, uh, you know, it's also important that we operate horizontally one with another. Uh, you know, e- even if government is not involved, to treat each other with uh, with respect in in uh, how we exercise our own rights to make sure that we're taking into account the needs and rights of, of our neighbors. Well, and speaking of the rights of our neighbors, you just reminded me, I wanted you to at least do a shout out for this Know Your Neighbor program before you go, but we're just about out of time. Yeah. What is it? Know Your Neighbor. It's a program, a project that uh, a, a good Sikh friend of mine, uh, Gerwin Ahuja, uh, thought up and, and pulled together 15 different groups to, uh, you know, to do some um, uh, work uh, with uh, seminars and a lot of online uh, uh, projects to encourage people to get to know their neighbors, to, you know, uh, people with different religions, different outlooks, different world views. Um, you know, once we know who they are and get to know them on a personal level, uh, it, it, you know, it, it really does break down the walls that so often divide us. So, uh, the White House got involved and had a nice program, and uh, uh, it, it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's, it's going to be a good, uh, good way to address the uh, uh, the need to uh, to be good neighbors one with another. Our guest today, Brent Walker. As we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We offer legal services to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. Freedom's Ring is now available on SoundCloud, so you can check us out on SoundCloud or on iTunes. And don't forget, folks, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Till next week, let freedom ring. <laughs>